Welcome to Line Upon Line, brought to you by It Is Written. This is where we answer your Bible questions. Temptation is not sin. It's when we yield ourselves to that thing. That's when it becomes sin. I believe what this is, and I'm going to trust you. So what prophecies were they studying that helped them know when the Messiah would come? That's a good question. And I think we've got a pretty good answer for you here. Hi, and welcome to Line Upon Line, brought to you by It Is Written with Wes Peppers. I'm John Bradshaw. We answer your Bible questions, and we'd love to hear from you. If you have one, email us at lineuponline at iiw.org. Hey, Wes, great to have you here. Thank you, Pastor John. Good to be here. Ready to go? We're ready to go. Let's start with a question from Mark. And here's the question. The unpardonable sin is mentioned in Luke 12, verse 10, and 1 John 5, verse 16. But 1 John 1, 9 says, God will forgive our sins. Here's really the question. How can there be an unpardonable sin if any sin we confess will be forgiven? Well, I think Mark's answering his own question there. Go on. Yeah, powerfully so, that the unpardonable sin is simply the one that is not confessed and forsaken. And so if we're uh, unwilling to do that or we're resisting the promptings of the Holy Spirit to confess it and we hang on to that thing... It can become for us the unpardonable sin, not because God's unwilling, but because we've become unwilling and we harden our own hearts. And so the best thing you can do, Mark, is to go to God every single time you sin and ask for that forgiveness and ask God's spirit to continue to keep your conscience sensitive towards his word and toward his truth. It speaks about what God does. He talks to us. He appeals to us. He convicts us as as, as Jesus said the Holy Spirit would do. All right. Fiona asks, Fiona asks, would you please explain 2 Corinthians 10, verses 4 and 5, but mainly verse 5? I think we can. We'll give, well, at least we'll give it a shot. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. In fact, we'll start in verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. We live in a human body, but we're not fighting a physical war here. It's more than that. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, fleshly, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Oh, a really good question. You know, Wes, we're in a war, we're in a spiritual war. Every day. Yeah. This is why we're in Ephesians chapter 6, we're told to take... The whole armor of God. It's like a soldier preparing to go out into battle. Here, we're told the same thing. We are in a war, but it's not a physical war. We're in a spiritual war. The weapons we use are not of human devising. They're not fleshly, but they are mighty to God, and they result in the pulling down of strongholds. Now, here's what we're instructed to do. And by the way, this is telling us what's possible through the power of the Holy Spirit. Casting down imaginations. Some translations would say arguments. And every high thing, that is casting down every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. So getting rid of those things, warring against those things that would destroy or weaken your knowledge of God. And bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Now, I'm going to assume, Fiona, that at some stage in your life, you looked across the room and saw 
a girl in high school and you said, don't like her, she's arrogant, don't like her, she, she thinks too highly of herself. It's not a Christian thought. And you either hung on to that thought and dwelled on that and welcomed that, or you surrendered that to God and you said, God, take that thought away from me. You see someone and you feel envy. That's destructive. Um, you look upon somebody to lust. You feel malice. You start imagining, you know, I could really do harm to that person. These are the thoughts that may intrude upon your mind. What you do is you cast them down. That is, you run to God and you say, God, take that away. I submit and surrender my thoughts to you, and I'm asking you to give me better thoughts. Now, the fact is, if you want to think healthy thoughts, mm-hmm. you want to be going to this book, the Bible, and feeding on the Bible. So you're getting the good stuff in. Mm-hmm. You want to have a prayer relationship with God where you're getting the good stuff in. You want to make some decisions that when you're scrolling around on social media, you go, no, no, I'm putting that down. You're on Facebook, you go, I don't need to look at that. You're flicking the channels, you go, no, I'm turning that thing off or I'm going to dump my television or whatever the case might be. So you can make decisions to help yourself. That's right. But it's really important that we think healthy thoughts and surrender those thoughts to God. Many people don't. They don't understand that you can ask God to take away negative thoughts and replace mm-hmm. good thoughts. So so somebody who's who is being assailed, attacked by unhealthy, unholy thoughts, what's your recommendation? It's to just let them go into God's hands because, you know, my I, my grandfather, remember as a teenager, I was always amazed. My grandfather was not an educated man. He went through the third grade. He learned how to read and then didn't use it well and then just simply forgot. So we would go to the store and he would ask me to read things for him and that kind of a thing. But he was wise. And I remember one time he said to me, I, I was just talking to him about life's issues and I said, Grandpa, what do you do when you're thinking about things that you don't want to think about or that you know are wrong. And he said, I just simply choose not to think about them. And I just simply move on to something else. I can choose, and he was very clear about this, I can choose what I think about. Now, when we're not focusing on the Word of God and we're focusing on the negatives, how I feel, my doubts, my thoughts, my feelings, what people say to me, that's where the strongholds come. Yes. When we continue to dwell on those, they build stronger and stronger in our mind, and they're harder to tear down. So what do I do with those things? Just because you have a negative thought, the devil can put negative thoughts in your mind. Having a negative thought is not a sin, but it's what do I do with that? Am I going to choose to continue to dwell on that, to continue to think about it? Am I going to think negative about myself, about others, or I'm going to look to something else? I'm going to look to the truth of God's Word. That's where the victory is. And this really, to me, says something about the power of God that one of the most, one of the strongest things in this life, in a bad sense, is our negative thinking. Oh, yeah. And yet the power of God and His Word to cleanse our negative thinking and to give us pure thoughts, that's a great power. And it's stronger than the powers, uh, the devil's power to give us those negative thoughts. Bringing into captivity every thought. Every thought. Oof. It's mind-blowing. It's powerful. But this is saying is what God can do. Mm-hmm. Now, for the person who's, 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 who's struggling and you say, oh, my thoughts are a mess, well, get started. Read the Bible, pray, pray, read the Bible. Don't waste time. Some negative thought comes into your mind. Get rid of that thing. Just, I'm choosing not to, and I'm praying God will fix my mind somewhere else. You feel some of those things we were talking about before? No, you, you, you know what the negative ones are, and if you're wrong about something, God will certainly educate you and grow you as you go along. 
I'm really glad this question was asked because focusing on this question and its answer will help all of us, I think, to remember to, to, to surrender our thoughts to God. And then when you think positive thoughts, oh, by the way, it's not just um, I want to do somebody harm, but those negative thoughts are I'm not worth anything. That's right. I'm having a rotten day. Mm-hmm. Nobody loves me. There's no point in my even being alive. Many people who do themselves great harm would not if they simply rejected those thoughts and asked God to put his thoughts in their mind and then believed what the Bible said. And by the way, I mean, to go on and on about this, but why do you believe what you believe? Lots of reasons for that. But how about you believe that your life has purpose because Jesus died for you? How about you believe that you're special to God because God made you purposely? How about believing that you are valuable because Jesus died for you? The Son of God gave his life for your life. How about believing that you have a great future because God tells you that in his word? If you let the Bible program your thoughts and not the garbage in the world and the dumb things people say and the stuff that you consume in media, negative media, not this media, then you go a whole lot further, have a happier, more productive, more Christian life, and you can look forward with certainty to eternal life. Good Amen. question. Absolutely. Good question. Great question. Yeah. Okay, Israel asks, who does the Bible identify as the man of sin, the Antichrist uh, and Babylon? Mm-hmm. Well, it's fascinating today that across Christianity, we want to answer this with, with kindness and respect. That's right. Across Christianity today, there's no consensus. No consensus at all. What are some of the fun ones you've heard? The Antichrist, King Juan Carlos of Spain. Yes. Every president in the United States since 50 years ago. Mikhail Gorbachev had the port wine stain on his forehead. They said that's the mark of the beast on his forehead. King Charles, Mm -hmm. who was Prince Charles. Mm -hmm. And he was, I don't know what, Antichrist or something. Something. Uh, A Jew in the Middle East. So it's like a smorgasbord now. You take your pick, except if you back up to the 1500s, 1600s, 1700s, 1800s, there was no guesswork among Protestant Christians about this. There was a consensus. Martin Luther was very, very strong about this. Ulrich Zwingli was. And by the way, they were living in a time when the ruling church was executing, murdering, killing countless people. So maybe it was clearer in that day, John Knox, the great Scot, William Tyndale, the Bible translator. I believe I'm correct in, in putting Tyndale on this. He was killed at the behest mm-hmm. of that church. Yes. Um, oh, and on. John Wesley in more recent times. You can go to Wesley's church in London today and, and see great tribute to a great man of God. Now, they believe that the papacy of the Roman church, the Catholic church, was the man of sin, man of lawlessness. Mm-hmm. And reasons for this was that they believed salvation was only found in the church. The Pope was infallible when he spoke on matters of faith and morals. That they taught purgatory, which is salvation by works. That's right. An eternally burning hell. Mm-hmm. Um, grace extended to you by the sacraments. All of these are a monstrosity. That's right. And they're directly opposed to what's in the Bible. Doesn't mean that Catholics aren't good folks. The vast majority of my, well, I'm from a Catholic family. Today, you know, they've drifted here and there. Um, Many lovely Christians from the Catholic Church is what you're saying. Absolutely. And I don't want to sound condescending when I say that, but it's just the truth. 
But when you look at a system that teaches tradition and not truth, and that teaches that, that in order to get forgiveness, you go and confess your sins to a priest. Oh, they'll say the priest is just standing there as the agent of God. No, no. Holy Spirit is the agent of God. Mm-hmm. You go to God through Jesus Christ. That's what we're taught in the Bible. Teach that Mary is a co-redemptrix and co-mediatrix, co-mediator. Like what in the world? That you can pray to dead people, pray to saints. And the list goes on and on and on. And people like Martin Luther saw this up front when the popes were pushing their weight around something terrible. And there were terrible abuses and the false teachings were obvious. That's why they were able to see this close up and say, oh, it's obvious based on what we see and more importantly, based on what we find in the Bible. So as you compare what the Bible says about the man of sin, the Antichrist, the nation, the first nation depicted in Revelation chapter 13, there's really only one biblical conclusion that you can come to. Several hundred years ago, it was, it was noised abroad. Everybody in Protestantism believed this. For various reasons, uh, Protestants have got away from that as they have got away from even the concept, concept of protesting. We want to hang on to the Bible. All right, we're glad you're with us. We'll have more in just a moment. With Pastor Wes Peppers, I am John Bradshaw, and this is Line Upon Line, brought to you by It Is Written. There might be days when you just can't seem to find the energy to take on life's challenges. Moments, or maybe days or weeks, where basic tasks can feel overwhelming. Times when you feel as though your heart and mind are trapped in a fog. Countless people all around the world are dealing with the weight of depression. Most people will experience depression, either firsthand or in the lives of friends or family members. There's hardly a person on earth who hasn't in some way been touched by its weight. That's why I sat down with a mental health expert to discuss this vitally important subject. Join me and Dr. Neil Nedley as together we explore what actually works in helping battle depression, its root causes and its symptoms. Don't miss the helpful and practical information in this series, proven to benefit physical, mental and emotional health. Clearing the Fog. Available now on It Is Written TV. Welcome back to Line Upon Line, brought to you by It Is Written. We are answering your Bible questions. Every question is a question we have received from an It Is Written viewer, and we're doing what we can to share with you a Bible answer for your Bible question. By the way, I want to say, if we answer a question and you disagree, write us and let us know. If we've answered your question and we've missed the point somehow, Write us and let us know that maybe we didn't understand the question fully. We do try, but we cannot claim infallibility, uh, especially Wes. He's wrong about a lot. Every time for me. Uh, Roger writes, why did God test Abraham and the Israelites, and why does he test our hearts? Oh, yeah. That's a great question. Yeah, isn't it? And I think there's a number of of answers to that. want to make sure that God doesn't tempt there's a difference yes. between testing and tempting glad you said that amen the bible says that the devil tempts us but god tests us well why does god test us i, I like to look at testing another way that god is giving us an opportunity to do well to amen. do good and sometimes he does so because he wants others to see that Sometimes he does so because he wants to reveal something that's going amiss on our own heart and there's something that we're not seeing. And so God will present a test to us 
And when we fail that test, it's not that God's saying, Aha, see there, I told you, you were bad. No, God wants to strengthen us. He wants to refine us. He wants to develop our characters. And so the test is not a bad thing. Many people view it that way. But it's really a good thing. God says, I'm given an opportunity here for you to show what I'm doing in your life. You ever been to medical school? I have not. No, neither have I. Yeah, it'd be difficult. But you know, medical school, they test them doctors. That's right. Yeah, they test them. And you know why? Because before you take a scalpel and cut somebody open, we want to be sure that you are prepared for this. That's it. It doesn't mean every doctor is perfect. They cannot know everything, everything, but they're as prepared as they can be. Mm -hmm. And then once they've passed the test, they'll continue to grow and continue to develop and continue to be stretched by what they come up against, whether it's in the hospital or in the clinic or whatever the case might be. Um, in school, you have an exam. If you don't pass those exams, sorry, you're not going to be a nurse. I took it's a, just the way it is. I took a driving test yes, when you I was did. 16. That Why, was, Why in the world did the DMV or the state government <laughs> insist that you take a driving test? Oh, because they want to make sure I'm not going to kill somebody. want you to be prepared. And That's God right. wants to develop our character, and I'm really glad. David understood this, and he, and he prayed in Psalm 139, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. There's a reason you get stuck in traffic sometimes because God needs for you, wants for you to develop patience. There's a reason sometimes God permitted that lady at the checkout, maybe it was a, no, it was a lady this time, to be really snippy at you. And that's because God wanted you to grow and not be irascible. There's a reason God allowed that guy I was driving the other day on the freeway, right? Mm -hmm. Just driving. Mm -hmm. There was a guy in front of me. I tried to pass him. Oh, he didn't want me to pass him. Okay, bro, whatever. We're just driving on a freeway. I don't know him and you don't, and he doesn't know me. We drove close to each other for about 30 or 45 minutes, right? Yeah. And uh, I wasn't taking any notice of him other than he was on the car. We're getting along doing quite nicely other vehicles too. He gets up here and he gets off the freeway, drives on the exit and whatever. For some reason, being a curious guy, I looked over. He was 100 yards away going on the off-ramp. He had wound down his window, and he was saying hi to me. Yeah, in a certain way, huh? He was saluting me. Yeah, yeah. And I thought, I I actually thought, poor guy. He'd been spending all that time looking at me like I was the enemy. Trying to get your attention. For 45 minutes, he'd been driving hot under the collar. I couldn't have cared less. We We were just driving. I tried to pass him. He didn't want me passing. Now I'm the enemy. Okay. Um, how do I respond when that guy salutes me like he does? And I thought to myself at the time, that's weird. But what do you do? Do you get angry? You say there are bigger things going to happen in this world. You call it God trying you. How are you going to respond? Mm-hmm. God tempts you to see how you, so you can see how you're going to respond. So you can look in the mirror and say, you know, today... I may not have reflected the character of Jesus. Let that drive you closer to God. When you stumble, don't feel so embarrassed and hurt that you run away from God. Oh, I'm too bad. No. If you, if you fail, some test God allows to come your way. Um, trust that next time, by the grace of God, you'll sail on by. You'll do okay. And it could be that, you know, that other person who's nasty with you, you respond kindly to them, and they think to themselves, why did he respond like that? Yeah. I don't understand that. What is it about you? And you have an opportunity to share God with them. And so God arranges these things. We don't always understand the reason why, but we want to be found 
living with Christ when in him when those tests come. Matty goes to my church where, where I attend. He was out doing some door-to-door stuff, witnessing, took a friend with him. They knocked on a door. Anyway, anyway, so a week or two later, I'm in the foyer of the church and I'm greeting people as they come in. How you doing? Great to see you. I said to a man I'd never seen him before, what brought you here? He said, let me tell you. He said, a man named X, oh sure, came to my door with another man named X, X. Number two. Yeah. He said, I let them have it. Mm. What do you mean? I was mean to them. Why? Just felt like being mean. And I gave them up the worst time you could imagine. He said, they responded like Christians. Mm. He said it was incredible. And I decided that if they go to church and they can be like that, then I need to go to the same church they go to to see if I can be like that too. That's right. Yeah. That's powerful. Powerful. That's right. Now, he, I, we didn't get into the words used or the, or the facial expressions or the, or the hand mm-hmm. signals. We didn't get into yeah, that. The salutes. Yeah. But you can imagine it was pretty spicy. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Now, these guys could have got angry, could have argued back, could have insulted back. But when they were tested, they came through like gold. They reflected Jesus, and it impacted that man so much that he said, where do you go to church? i got to go there too. So that's evidence A. Why does God test us? Prime example, real-life situation. Amen. Powerful, powerful. Bob asks, I'm trying to understand man as a body, soul, spirit, but I'm having a hard time with that. Mm-hmm. How do we understand that the, 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 the nature of humanity? Yeah, I mean, we have a body, yep. and the soul is a combination of two things. It's the breath of God and the body that God created for us, and those two things coming together create a soul. The That's Bible says in that. In Genesis 2-7. Genesis 2-7. And the spirit really is not some separate ghost entity, but it's the breath that God puts in us. Now, Paul does describe, he, he says, if I pray in my spirit, it's often described as like our emotions, our sure. heart, our, our, our inner thoughts. And there's not anything wrong with that. But when the Bible talks about, or, or people talk about rather, body, soul, and spirit, you understand that you don't have a soul but rather you are a soul, Bob. You are a soul. You're a living soul. Again, combination of the body and the breath. That's, that Those emotions that you have, The people often call it the thoughts of the heart. It's really, um, people sometimes call it my spirit. I've heard people say, oh, I had this sense in my spirit. I'm not saying that's wrong, uh, but that's, it's not a separate thing. It's, mm. the, it's, a, it's made up of who you are I and felt what you it, are. I felt it in my soul. Yeah, that's right. My soul resonated with that's that it. message. That's it. Yeah, y- your inmost being. That's right. You're an in, you're inner person. Paul even says in Corinthians, the inner person. So we always want to make sure when we have those senses that we're not just letting that be our guide, but rather we're checking it to the Bible. Some of you say, oh, I really feel, or I just really sense in my spirit, I need to steal that car over there. Well, obviously, that's conflicting with the Bible. So make sure you filter that through the truth of God's Word. Before this next question, I'm going to read a verse, Revelation 12, verse 1. There appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of 12 stars. Okay, that's that's the verse. Here's the question from Elizabeth. She writes, A friend of mine believes the woman of Revelation 12.1 is Mary, 
the mother of Jesus, not a symbol for the church of God's people. He says, this is evidence Mary is in heaven. How can I help him see what is right? First thing, the way you help him see what is right is by being gracious. The fact that he's wrong doesn't mean he's wrong, wrong, bad, out of step with God. Maybe just means he has some growing to do. So, so that's a little word of friendly counsel. Be gracious. That's really important. Now, is Revelation 12 on evidence that Mary is in heaven? Uh, doesn't. I don't see really. I see very little evidence that it could be that. Well, if firstly, firstly, was it cannot be. It cannot because be. the Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter nine that the dead know nothing. nothing. That's right. Uh, the dead don't praise the Lord. Psalm 115 and verse 17. Our friend Lazarus is asleep. When Mary died, those who had her charge, perhaps John the Apostle, did not say, Our friend Mary is awake. She was asleep. So like everybody, she sleeps the sleep of death, waiting for the resurrection. That's right. And where people get confused is because it says in verse 2, Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain and to give birth. That's the verse that people would really try to use to say, This is literally Mary. But the rest of the chapter talks about the woman in prophetic scenarios, and there's no way in the world it could be Mary. And so very clearly, this woman in Revelation 12 is talking about the church. And in numerous Bible passages, Ephesians 5 and Jeremiah and many others, it makes reference to a woman in prophecy being the church. And uh, obviously, Revelation 12 is a whole history of the Christian church from the birth of Jesus all the way down to the end of time. So that's very clearly what it's speaking about. Yep. Take it in context and you're going to be okay. That's what I'd encourage my friend. If he's open to discussing, you might say, hey, I remember what you said to me. Would you be interested in hearing my point of view? Would you, would you be interested in hearing another perspective? And what it might be, even if you can't get through him on this and you want to be gentle about it, it might open the door for Bible study and you can come at it from another angle and uh, maybe study the Bible on an ongoing basis. You could always direct him to It Is Written TV as well. And uh, he, there's a lot of programs on there that explain that pretty amen, thoroughly. Amen, amen, Okay, so Ronald asks, and this will be our last question, why did God cast Lucifer and his angels to the earth, knowing that he will create man on the earth? And, and this is really the rub. Was it intentional for man to sin? Certainly not. God did not intend man to sin or want man to sin, but think, he did give the opportunity to sin. Think about this. If it was intentional for humans to sin, then that's God saying it is intentional for Jesus to, to die. die. Yeah, that's a scary thought. Yeah, and that was absolutely not intent. God was not in heaven saying, not a great idea. How about you die on a cross? And how about the, the world go through utter and abject misery? No, it wasn't God's intent for humans to sin. It was God's intent for human beings to have freedom of choice. And imagine being in a religion or a faith where the, the deity gave you no freedom of choice. That's right. Robots, and it, it'd be no real existence at all. No, none. And if, and if it was God's intent for man to sin, that creates a whole world of problems about the character of God. Oh, yeah. And so certainly not. Yeah, yeah. All right, so you can be certain uh, God, when he cast him to the earth, he cast him out of heaven and Satan came here to the earth. It wasn't God's intention for you to have a headache, for your neighbor to have shingles, for the dog across the street to die, and for the person one town over to have a coronary event. It's not God's intention. Hey, thanks for joining us. We're going to be back again. We hope you will be too. Uh, with West Peppers, I am John Bradshaw. 
This has been Line Upon Line, brought to you by It Is Written.